it's another edition of Library Guide and Gal. Go to the movies. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Disclaimer, adults say we didn't warn you. This episode contains spoilers. So, if you've wanted to watch this movie but haven't yet, we recommend listening to our podcast afterwards. Thanks so much. And now, on to Library Gals. Go to the movies. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Library Gals Go to the Movies. I'm Via. And I'm Katie. And we are here in November bringing you some cyberpunk movies, uh, I guess in honor of, I don't know, is that the correct term, in honor of Cyber Monday? Sure. Which will be coming out, so happy Cyber Monday. Happy Cyber Monday, everyone. Actually, happy close to Thanksgiving also, if, if you celebrate. And yeah, Cyber Monday. Are up. you are you looking forward to any particular foods? Uh, you know what? Last year we made something called Million Dollar Mashed Potatoes. That sounds. I'm, I'm all for mashed they potatoes. Absolutely lived up to the name. Um, you'll not be happy to know they're full of dairy, cream cheese, milk, and butter. I so. mean, I still want them. <laughs> I just can't have them and be alive. And the other thing that we did was we always order pie from a local bakery and this year's bakery no sponsorship is <laughs> Doe Mama in Clintonville we're getting a cranberry ginger pear pie sounds good I love Doe Mama uh, that name is amazing isn't it great yeah. and they, they live up to their name they make excellent pies awesome we also watch movies every year on Thanksgiving mm-hmm. we always watch Planes, Trains, and Automobiles <laughs> and Home for the Holidays so we're ready to tuck into pie and movies what about you? nice yeah I am um, <sighs> All I know is that there's going to be French silk pie, which Ooh. is my favorite, so I'm super ready for that, mm-hmm. um, and all the the chaos that ensues. <laughs> um, <laughs> the chaos with French silk pie? Yeah. <laughs> and, like, my body. <laughs> Got it. Um, <laughs> We're worth the chaos. Totally yeah, get it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I'm looking forward to. I'm a huge gravy fan and, like, mm-hmm. a stuffing fan, so pretty much any of that food is good. Um, we, I mean, yeah, we usually watch movies, too, but we don't, like, have any, like, traditional ones, so we'll watch something, I'm sure. I, uh, I actually just watched, uh, have you heard of Lamb? Yes, how was it? It was uh, intense. Oh. It's, it's definitely, I mean, like, it's a Swedish film, and it's also an A24 film, so, like, it's not a happy film, uh-huh. but, like, it's just kind of, like, a, a, tense, like, you know it's not gonna end well movie, but I gotta admit, like, as weird as it is, the, uh, lamb, the little lamb child, freaking cute. It looks so adorable. She's freaking cute. <laughs> and I will say, you know, um, so yeah, it is a very weird movie, but I, I did not hate it at okay, all. Okay, it's, it's weird. Like, I can I can totally see why, why a lot of people would not be into it, but I was, I'm a fan. It got me. I love it. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Good. Very but, cool. Are you a big fan of, um, well, we chose, I, I chose Cyberpunk with Cyber Monday because I am not a fan at all of Black Friday. No. I mean, I guess I'm not really a fan of either of them, but no. like if I'm going to pick one, I'm going to be like, well, you can't like trample people to death online <laughs> right. physically and hurt people. So I'm going to go with that one. Plus just cyberpunk is cool and it's a good excuse to do it. Yeah. So are you a fan of, of Black Friday? Do you go shopping? No, I'm not. In fact, I really wholeheartedly stand by the buy nothing day on Black Friday. Oh yeah, me too. Um, the, the, I, I, 
Christmas is not my favorite holiday for the the marketing and uh, present giving part. I do love giving presents, but shopping is not my favorite thing. Mm -hmm. So Cyber Monday, honestly, what I end up doing is finding deals for things for myself. There you go. If I need it, but it's not something that I like look forward to to shop for anyone on my on my list. I'm much more of a local sentimental gift giver than a we have to have a new tv kind of gift giver i love that i'm I'm very similar i am the yeah i my first thing i'm crazy because i'm one of those christmas people that shops all year round (laughs) yeah and so i've already wrapped most of my christmas presents (laughs) this is what this is being recorded on what what day is it it's It's the 22nd 22nd. of november you got your month ahead look at you because because like that's the thing i started doing it like a handful of years ago because I was tired of being stressed out around the holidays yeah. and, like, not being able to enjoy Christmas yes. and, like, the festiveness. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to start doing this so that I can actually enjoy it again. And it's worked. So, I mean, if, if it's possible for you to do it. Like, I still have a couple things, you know, mm-hmm. like food items or things that I have to wait till a certain time that I have to get. But I feel like it really helps cut down on the stress. So if it's something you can do, you know, it's just like any, any um, uh, like, pattern, any, any uh uh, what word am I looking for? Um, like a Routine. habit. Yeah, yeah. Habit. Thank, yeah. Habit. Thank you. Yeah, but you just gotta like kind of do it, and then like it'll stick eventually, and you'll start doing it. Maybe I think that's a great idea. So but, yeah, cool. Yeah, but yes, definitely like Cyber Cyber Monday. If there's anything that pops up last minute, like in my in my email, I'm always looking for it because the world is is becoming much more virtual and. Every, every day, it makes things, it's, you know, it's got its ups and its downs, but, you know, the perks of shopping are definitely there, so. And let's give another plug to all of the free things a library has to offer. If you're looking for a true gift on Cyber Monday, encourage your friends and family to get a library card. We have uh, virtual streaming free deals, so you can get movies, audiobooks, anything like that that you can think of as gifts, or maybe gift someone a library card. Uh, who doesn't know all the great things libraries have to offer. One of them includes, one of the movies we're going to talk about today is available on Canopy streaming for free. So share the love of libraries and gift a library card this year. And uh, that one that you can find is on Canopy. It's a scanner darkly. But we're going to start you off first with the other movie that we watched and are going to discuss, Ready Player One, because that one, there's there's always a very diverse scale I feel like of sci-fi there's mm-hmm. like the fun action sci-fi and then there's like the really philosophical heavy deep thinker sci-fi that yes. hurts your brain so we're gonna start off with like the more fun one not hard sci-fi first so yeah. we're gonna do Ready Player One awesome so um, Ready Player One was a novel that came out Um, I think early 2000s the novel was published. It was written by Ernest Cline and was an incredibly popular novel. And actually, Ready Player Two just came out recently, Mm -hmm. if you're looking for a sequel to that. It was a book that I never did read, but I will never forget someone book-talking this book to me. It was um, at a work event where a coworker had just read it and was so excited about it and filled in all the details. And I would just always remember that book sounding so great. And somehow it just never became one that made its way to the top of my list. If I were to read it, I do know that Will Wheaton does the audiobook narration. So probably going to move higher up on my list now, now that I've seen the movie. But it was interesting coming into the movie with no context. 
other than what one coworker eight years ago told me about it. <laughs> so um, I didn't really know a whole lot about the movie aside from the fact that it was a um, a world post-apocalyptic world in a way that's set in Columbus, Ohio. So our lead character. Wayne Wade, Wade Watts, he lives in a post-apocalyptic Columbus, and in this world, a lot of people have dedicated their entire lives to living as avatars in a game, um, or an entertainment universe, as it's called. And this is not the avatars, like the giant blue... Not the blue... This avatar is in, like, computer, yeah, internet, (laughs) technology. These are the these actual cyberpunk versions of gaming avatars. So they're also very um, stylized. Their avatars are all very different looking. They kind of... If you've ever been on a game generator, every avatar looks different. People can take different shapes and forms. But the reason that people are doing this is because a game creator, James Halliday, uh, he created a, a world where he hid keys and Easter eggs to his entire fortune. Called the Oasis. The Oasis. Yeah. And the whole point and the reason why people are spending their time in this game is to locate all of those pieces of information and Wade gets deeply embedded and invested in trying to find that. Wade is an orphan. He lives with his aunt and um, her deadbeat boyfriend. Boyfriend played by speaking of A24 movies, the father from The Witch. Yeah. The creepy father. Um, I unfortunately don't remember his name, but uh, he was kind of sleazy and really great in this movie. And uh, Wade uses his avatar to try and hunt down the the keys and the Easter eggs. And really the whole movie is just about that journey and the fellow avatars that he meets in the game. They do end up coming together IRL, as they say, or in Ooh. real life. Mm, see, I know, the, I know the speak. I know the jargon. You're a cool kid. <laughs> and, um, and so the whole movie is about their, their quest to find these Easter eggs. You also get a good frame narrative of the um, game creator, who is played by Mark Rylance. In a very weird choice, Mark Rylance is an odd duck in this movie, but I've heard that Mark Rylance is an odd duck in general, Um, and he kind of plays this outcast who has some regrets in his life, so a lot of the Oasis and the game is correcting some of those choices that he made. You know, actually, I already have a fun fact yeah. about you for the movie. Is apparently Michael Keaton was one of the first choices to play Halliday. Oh, okay. Uh, so yeah, and I mean, I'm a huge Michael Keaton fan, so part of me is like that would have been so much better. But like, I don't think that that you know, um, who played him again? Mark Rylance. Mark Rylance. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think he did a bad job at all. But yeah, I'm kind of like, ooh, that'd be, it'd be it would be a very different portrayal if it were Michael Keaton. And they definitely made it like a stereotypical nerdy antisocial kind of strange, awkward, awkward socially person. Um, I thought it would have been funny. So Mark Rylance, he was the artistic director for the Globe Theatre in London. So he comes from a classically trained Shakespearean background. And I had the luck to see him in a few Shakespearean plays dozens of years ago. And He's always reminded me of British Robin Williams. So I think it would have been cool had he still been alive. This could also have been a great role for Robin Williams as kind of the odd odd bird. Um, And also playing the partner in the game experience or the the game creation is 
um, Simon Pegg, who I love so much. Simon Pegg of um, Shaun of the Dead fame, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, I thought that just in case, for our listeners that, that don't know what cyberpunk actually is, mm-hmm. I would just really quickly put in that it's it started off, it's basically a, a genre of sci-fi that's set in a, a lawless subculture of an oppressive society dominated by AI and computer tech. So, very futuristic. There's always some kind of like evil corporation that's bigger and, and over everything and keeping people kind of prisoner in their own society Uh, and and oftentimes there's a rebellion part Mm -hmm. of that story as well so if you don't already know what cyberpunk is i know that word has especially popped up a lot recently especially with like cyberpunk um the game you know and and um like blade runners sequel coming out you know a long time ago or or like a handful you know of years ago Mm -hmm. um so it's it's pretty popular now especially in the post-apocalyptic movies and strain that we've kind of run on. Yeah, and it's like sort of that concept of like plugging into an alternate reality too. Um, So as you're thinking of your holidays and plugging into the alternate of shopping (laughs) and into the cyber world, a little bit of that has kind of uh, informed a lot of these things. And uh, so I think it would be really interesting to talk about your movie based on what, what that definition of cyberpunk is just to kind of talk about what the movie is, and then we can get into both of the films, like, in comparison. Yeah, like how they do Yeah. It. Sure. Well, um, so we also watched A Scanner Darkly, uh, which is one that had been on my list for a while. I have not read—I've read the book Ready Player One, mm-hmm. but I have not read uh, um, A Scanner Darkly, which is by Philip K. Dick. Um, so, I, you know, like, I, I uh, hard sci-fi is something that I love, but it's— it's not easy to read, especially uh-huh. Philip K. Dick. Like, it's very dense stuff to read, so I generally watch more of the movies than I, I read the novels. Um, but A Scanner Darkly is set in, again, like a kind of a dystopian future world that's not that far away in the future from when it was originally written. The book was written in 77, um, and it was based in, like, 94. The movie was in, uh, like, 2000. 2006, and it's set in 2013, which I, I don't remember if they actually mentioned it in the movie. That was some trivia that I found out, so um, they kind of compensate for that. But uh, the movie stars some really great people, like some really big names. It has Keanu Reeves. It has Winona Ryder. It has Woody Harrelson. It has Robert Downey Jr., um, and it's directed by uh, Richard Linkletter. So, uh, yeah, like some, some great names in that, and... Um, it's about Keanu Reeves plays an undercover sort of cop detective, like um, agent that works for um, this New Path Recovery place that's supposed to be re- like a drug rehab place. Mm-hmm. And he uh, is undercover as a druggie essentially because uh, we're at a point in the future where just the, the war on drugs has become so, you know, uh, just run rampant through society that the majority of people are on drugs and the big one is one called substance d and the d stands for death substance death um which is a big drug uh it's on the elite you know it's legal on the market and it's supposed to cause just like total shifts and and changes in your reality um it's very very addictive people are really like scrambling for that experience you know because they just don't like their lives you know in real life and um so again we're playing with like a you know escape from reality mm-hmm. idea here and so Keanu Reeves' character um, he has two different names and I'm actually blanking on um, the his real name 
uh, but his character name, like like Bob Arctor, is the name of um, his his undercover portrayal, mm-hmm. and. Um, he has, uh, yeah, he just goes undercover as a druggie, and he's trying to sniff out who kind of is, is one of the ringleaders in this group of friends and, and who are people that are on this substance D drug. They're trying to kind of figure out where it came from and, and get people into the rehab center, you know, bring people in and arrest them or whatnot. Um, but in doing this, uh, Bob's uh, character, he, he does the drug himself to mm-hmm. fit in mm-hmm. and starts feeling the effects of that and then has to go through um, basically like mental testing at uh, this new path recovery place uh, to see if, to make sure he's on track enough and not too far gone on the drug himself. So very interesting complex. Um, it also has a lot of like, paranoia and and like almost like espionage like spying um surveillance systems like like you can trust no one in this movie because anybody could also be undercover um and you know even even your friend that that appears like a druggie could be you know actually not in that in that area they could just be a cop you know so um and, and I felt that. Yeah. That, mo- that movie felt like a paranoia trip. Oh, <laughs> for sure. It was like, like everything about this movie is uneasy. Mm-hmm. I felt a little like uncomfortable the entire time because I was also like, well, I don't know exactly who's who yeah. or who I'm supposed to be trusting. So it did that really well. So we have two really different looks at the concept of cyberpunk. Mm-hmm. We have one really big kind of bombastic pop culture uh, it flooded mm-hmm. uh, Avatar example, and then we have the Scanner Darkly, which is more uh, underground. Uh, you're being watched and monitored all the time, kind of um, kind of thing. So, you know, Ready Player One, I had a blast with. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, I do wish I had read the book now before I saw the movie mm. because. I do feel like feel like I want to see how those pop culture things were referenced in the book. I'd like to know how they were brought up and why it was so important to the story. Like I think it's because Halliday was such a nostalgic person and he's kind of going back to when he was a kid and remembering all of these things that he grew up with because when I say nostalgia, it's mostly things from the 80s, the 1980s. So um like I don't know, because there, there's a dinosaur from, I'm assuming, Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. but there's also King Kong, mm-hmm. and there's... there's uh, the, 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 uh, the DeLorean shows The DeLorean, up. and then like a million other things that are just in the background that come kind of flooded at you, and... I want to know how that plays in a, a novel form and not just visual form, like what, how that impacts the actual playing of the game, like why those things are there. Yeah. Um, so one of the big differences between um, the book and the movie is that uh, it's, it's entirely 80s reference based in the book, okay. whereas in the movie they do have 80s references, but a good chunk of them are 90s references. They kind of aged it up a little bit, yeah. which I'm guessing is for just the the connection to the the audience they thought were going to see it at mm-hmm. that point. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I personally didn't feel like it was necessary to do, but I, I didn't think it changed a whole lot. But okay. I was just kind of like, you know, like younger people know about other older generations. <laughs> like they know about music. They know about like, like I feel like a, 
uh, I feel like it dumbed it down a little bit. Having to, it's, it's like they know what that stuff. Like it's it's fine. Like yeah. they'll, they'll like they'll figure it out. They'll do the research if they read the book. But um, um. Yeah, the one of the things is I read the book, and obviously okay. you know beforehand. I told you I said I'm in the minority. I hated the book. <laughs> um, the I thought the movie was better than the book, but the movie was just like so so for me. Like I watched it, and it was enjoyable, but you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of my friends that read the book and loved it said that they didn't like the movie as okay. much. Okay, having read it, so um, yeah, I like that that you got kind of just a. a dive in perspective of it with the movie yeah so you'll have to see how you feel about it like after you read the book definitely and one thing i know so i after the movie was over and the final credits are running i could not i knew this probably at some point in my head but was really shocked to find that the movie was actually directed by steven spielberg yeah it was which i mean steven spielberg if you're talking about nostalgia for the 80s He's the guy. I mean, yeah. he's like your go-to. He, you know, if you're talking E.T., um, Indiana Jones. When you're talking about Steven Spielberg, you already have an idea of nostalgia because you are nostalgic for movies that he made. And, like, I'm thinking, like, oh, he produced Polterde- Poltergeist. E.T. Um, E.T. The, like, just, you know, name an 80s movie and most likely he had something to do with it. So... I in thinking of that, I wish this movie actually was more nostalgic, and it does kind of make sense if he they tried to add '90s references in, just based on the time the movie set or the audience they're going for. That that's not a lot of what I consider his time, or like those aren't things I'm necessarily nostalgic for. So maybe it was just my personal view, but I was honestly surprised. Like I wanted the movie to be bigger somehow and crazier than it was, just because it was a Steven Spielberg feature. And I'm yeah. sure, considering him as the director for this content, it seemed like a match made in heaven. I just wish that he had gone a little more right. with it. Maybe it's also because the references are so quick and kind of an aside that there's so many references that they can't really latch onto it's one. It's so, just like, yeah, I'm sure this it's is so nostalgic. Hard to fit all that in right, there. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and the the movie does have its fair share of uh, conflict. You know, he doesn't Wade just doesn't go straight into the oasis, get what he needs, and comes out. There is, as you said, like the evil corporation side, mm-hmm. where there's a, a an organization that has hired just a. a flock of gamers to uh, constantly play this game and look for all of these keys and no one seems to be clever enough uh, except for Wade to figure out what the clues actually are. And you see that Wade and Halliday kind of end up having a very close mental connection where he can relate to all of the things that Halliday was hiding in the game. Um, being socially awkward, wanting to kind of look out for the little guy and and get the his his legacy to live on. And I think that was a really interesting part of it. That's something that I think happens in cyberpunk a lot is there's always this concept of a person or their being or their their uh, essence can stay alive as long as parts of them are around in quote-unquote cyberspace. Mm-hmm. So this really takes that literally where Halliday actually is a part of the game. He coded himself and videos of himself into the game. So Wade interacts with a person who's been dead for 20 years. Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. And, and they do take it very literally in this sense. But that is a concept of that, that cyberpunk mentality that that person is alive forever. Yeah, it's not it's not a a like 
programmed hologram. Like, I have so many responses plugged in. It feels like he's talking to him in real time. It's like his consciousness was uploaded, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's like, the big cyberpunk thing. But I do feel like, even with that the evil corporation, I feel like this one has a more positive spin on the the tech and the AI and the virtual world. Mm-hmm. Um, the negative, uh, it, it's much more of a triumphant feeling. I, I don't really feel in this movie, which I think is a common thing for Steven Spielberg um, movies. Like, I think that there's... Um, I wasn't afraid that the good guys weren't going to win in the end. Yeah. You know? It was like I was along for the ride. Um, but I do really like... Uh, the, the book does expand on this more, but I do really like um, the... Uh, like in the beginning of the movie, we have the scene where he's like, you know, br- briefly explaining kind of the setting of the movie. And Wade's talking about how, um, you know, everybody, like pretty much everybody, is like living, like their their most important self and most important life is in the oasis, mm-hmm. it's in this virtual world. And they show this little montage while he's saying it of like him getting ready to charge up his, his you know, computer station. Um, they show a mom that, uh, well, well, they show like the battle that's actually happening in the oasis on some planet where he's going to to meet his friend. But then they show like one of those other characters in the battlefield is like a, a mom in her bathrobe that's like punching people in her VR helmet and her, her little boy is in the background and he's like yelling mom mom and the like the breakfast on the stove is on fire uh-huh. and she's like go ask your dad <laughs> like swatting him away um, like, I'm in the they, middle of something here yeah, yeah. they have a, like a little girl who gets killed and like rage quits and starts screaming and then the biggest one um, was when there's like a, uh, a Japanese businessman who's in his office like in in like the rows of cubicles nobody else looks like they're hooked up at the moment but he is he loses something and then he gets up from his desk goes running to the big glass window and attempts to jump out of it before his coworker grabs him and like stops him mm-hmm. and it's done in kind of a funny way but like I was really like, no, that is, that's the obsession with, like, if you're, if your kind of life in the game gets screwed up, like, you don't feel like it's worth living outside of the game. Like, that's how, how into it people are and society has become. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, people build up money and life force and, you know, battle skills within the game. Mm-hmm. And so they, you know, they're kind of living in that reality almost all the time. And there's a scene with his aunt and her boyfriend where he, I think it's gloves. There's like a pair of gloves that Wade takes or he mm-hmm. leaves the, the boyfriend like a broken pair of gloves. Yeah. And it turns out that that guy has spent all of their life savings on the game that he was playing. So there's also this element of you know, gambling and risk taken in where people are essentially destitute. Like, outside of the game, there's not a lot to live for, which is why everyone is desperate to to win the game and get, and get that legacy yeah. for them. And they do a good job showing that, too. Like, the design of um, Wade's housing situation uh-huh. and the stacks of, like, trailers and just, like, it just looks like, like a, a scrapyard of like cars and trailers and houses just piled up in like skyscraper form. Yeah. And I thought that was a really cool visual 
Um, and of course, one of the, the biggest things we haven't mentioned is that they this movie literally creates that virtual world for you to look at. Like a good chunk of it is CGI animated, mm-hmm. um, and that's like how the movie plays out. A Scanner Darkly is similar in that it is also entirely animated, mm-hmm. but in much more of a comic book style. Um, it was uh, like filmed first with real people, which only took 23 days, I read. Yeah. And then it took a year and a half to do all the animation in the end. Oh, wow. Um, but yeah, so both of these have a huge um, uh, aspect of being animated for part of it, which, you know, makes total sense, um, especially for Ready Player One. And uh, they, they also do a good point in talking about how, you know, the reason part of it is so freeing is because you can be, you know, whatever gender you want to be, you can look how you want, you know, you can be who you want, who you're, like, afraid to be in the real world. So they definitely give that whole aspect of why it's so appealing, which obviously I think a lot of people now can relate to that or understand why people, you know, like, there are websites like that now. There are yeah. ch- like, there have been chat rooms where you do that since, like, you know... Well, like, yeah, like since years, chat rooms were existed, ago. yeah. Well, and I think that, what was that? There's a new show... Um, that almost replicates this entirely, and I've never seen it, but I saw an ad for it. It's, sh- I think it's Show Me Your Voice, where oh. they actually create an animated avatar, and then the person is backstage singing, and it's similar to, or it's I See Your Voice, maybe? Is it, like, similar to The Masked Singer? But it's like kind virtual? of like The Masked Singer, except the they actually... Uh, animate an avatar for a person. That's cool. Actually, no, actually, actually I haven't heard that. One, it's actually. projected onto the stage, so it looks as if this thing is is performing. But like the one of the ads I saw, and I'm doing this terrible justice because I don't know anything about the actual show. But just also, the 30 they're not seconds, sponsoring, but they're not sponsoring so us. So who cares? <laughs> give us money, and then we'll give a good thing about your show. But I remember seeing in one of the ads that it's you know they have this cool like cyberpunk looking hologram uh, that's singing, and the performer themselves was in a wheelchair. It's a person in a wheelchair, but their avatar was like dancing and performing a full stage show Aww. while the the actual singer wa- was a, was in a wheelchair and and singing backstage. So it's kind of th- this concept is trying to work. And now we've also had you know hologram Tupac and a couple other hologram celebrities. Yeah. That that technology is there. We just don't necessarily need it I don't think right like right? I was gonna say I love the idea of that for like what you said you know with somebody with a wheelchair and then their 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 character can like dance and do things like that mm-hmm. but like just like the mask singer where you can't see who it is like I know I'm gonna hate it right. in, 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 <laughs> like once in actual practice I'm gonna be like I hate this uh-huh. uh, just like I think that those are too any uncanny valley for me yes. but, like, the hologram Tupac and everything yes um, but then there's also um, uh, have you ever heard of Vocaloid no so there's like this whole thing that was happening before that it's still happening um in like japan they have um digital avatar pop stars oh cool that have their own song like they make them they vocaloid is like it's it's based off of um uh like auto-tune style Mm -hmm. technology like software on the computer where they give them a voice and based on like pitches they say things so it, it all sounds like robot voices um and it sounds really weird, but uh, yeah, there's like they do real concerts where they project this never was a real, you know, never was flesh and blood. It was always a CGI character, and you see uh, real life audiences of like 
hundreds of people oh. going there and being fans and cheering. Like it's you know that's and, wild. And of course, you know Japan always has all the cooler tech than anybody. Uh, yeah, you know. So, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's like that's that's been a thing that's actually been in practice, and that's just like crazy. I kind of like that though. It's insane. Yeah, yeah, it's it is kind of cool to see someone take on an avatar where they can design exactly what it looks like. If they're feeling a different way a certain day, they can change hairstyle. They can change from being a manic pixie dream girl to being a unicorn with a silver horn. Like, yeah. you know, you can change your your uh, appearance in any way that you want, and there's an appeal to that, Before I Before you said unicorn, my brain is went squirrel. And I was like, well, I know what I'm doing, I guess. Why do I want to be a squirrel? <laughs> I would definitely choose unicorn if I could. I'd probably be unicorn over anything else. In, in the Oasis? That's a good question. If you were in the Oasis, would you be a squirrel? Why did my brain instantly go squirrel? That's what I'm wondering. No, it wouldn't. Like, I would, I don't know, I'd be something like, like a, like a pegasus or like a phoenix or something really cool. Or like a mermaid. Yeah, yeah. yeah I love it. Yeah. Or you could go for a merman, like uh, in Cabin in the Woods. Yes. <laughs> best, Never pe- still, still the best payoff I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> Uh, and I, but I do. I and the thing I also liked in Ready Player One how Wade did have such good friends in the Oasis yep. who showed up for him in real life. You know, the, and that's the difference between these two movies is that in Scanner Darkly, the quote unquote friends that Bob Actor has. They're deadbeats. Are they friends? And they're not even friends, and maybe they're all undercover. Right. Nobody can trust anybody. And like who's a deadbeat? Who's, who's actually not a deadbeat? Is just pretending to be a deadbeat. Uh huh. Exactly. So you know, at least Wade knew who his friends were. Yeah. Um, but H, both in in the movie and the book, was my favorite character. Mm-hmm. Um, loved the reveal of it being a girl. Um, and uh, that character was just really well done to me in both versions. Okay. Um, the In the book, Wade is actually, like, really unlikable to me. He's just, like, a pretentious, just, like, snobby jerk. And snobby I don't, gamer dude. Yeah, like, <laughs> I don't think that you have to be a, you know, I don't think you have to be like that to be a very knowledgeable person about all that like obscure reference stuff in order to get something I think that's such a bad portrayal um, of like nerd of nerd culture and being something like that but he's he's much more likable in the movie uh, in my opinion uh-huh. uh, that's, that was refreshing um, the other one is I, I actually had a problem with um, Artemis because um, in the book I don't feel like she's the most fleshed out character either um, but in the movie uh, and, and I like the actress actually that plays her. I, mm-hmm. I, I've seen her in other things, and um, she was in uh, Bates Motel. It was probably the first thing I ever saw her. Okay. In. Um, Did you see Thoroughbreds? No, but Oof. I know what that is. I, I highly that's recommend on my list it. Yeah. Because I'm such a big uh, Anya Taylor Joy fan. Uh huh. Um, that yeah, I just like I have to see it at this point. Yeah. But, um, they they did the thing where she's like, oh, in real life you would hate me, and like her her real life. Um, her, her real self is like a girl who's very pretty and has a port wine stain. Yeah. And I just think, I'm, li- I'm like, they did the thing again where they took a, a very beautiful, very gorgeous girl, put a little bit of a thing on her mm-hmm. and expected us to be like, oh, she's so horrible. She's ugly. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, I guess part of that, too, is they give Wayne zero credit. To like, she even gives him zero credit. Like, you wouldn't like me in real life, yeah, because I have this mark on my face. And really, if he's the way you say he was in the book, like, probably wouldn't, right? <laughs> like, right. I, yeah, I have no idea, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, the other thing is she's like, oh, yeah, like, I'm used to people lying. You don't have to lie. And I'm like, I just, like, I, I get if you have the self-esteem issues with you having it yourself. But I I just couldn't buy that that all her life people were like, you're so ugly. Like, like I know people with port wine stains. Yeah. And they're very attractive people. And that does not, like, that does not change any of that. You know, it's not, she's not like a, like the Phantom of the Opera. Right. Is what they kind of made it sound yeah, like. She's like not, she, she's she hasn't not had the half her face man. Burned, Yeah. You know. <laughs> Yeah, so that was like one of the one of the portrayals that I, I didn't really like. I didn't think Artemis Artemis came off as a bit of a manic manic pixie dream girl yeah, to me. Yeah. So yeah, I can see that. Which I, I disliked, but yeah, I I adored H. Mm-hmm. I thought H's character was fantastic. I also liked the uh, the like brothers who weren't really brothers the like uh oh, i'm trying to think uh dido and uh, i don't remember the other kids name but yeah they yeah. were like just friends but they like ba- like their characters were apparent were like siblings uh-huh. because they're so close so and one of them ended up being 11 and they're all completely mind blown yeah uh, the one thing i wish they had done that they really didn't do because they they end up as a group of basically teenagers mm-hmm. you know fighting the man or whatever but I wish that there had been uh, an older person, now that I'm thinking about it, that, you know, they show this entire society playing this game. Yeah. And they don't show anyone really over the age of 20. I'm wondering if they if they did that cautiously on purpose. Sure. Because they were worried how much backlash, like, because I don't, th- that's not in the book either. Okay, okay. Um, I guess, yeah, like, like I feel like person talking to young children right, you, is not you discover, cool. Because that's like, that's been the biggest, uh, you know, the biggest stigma and stereotype is like, oh, the person you're talking to is actually like a 40-year-old man. You know, so, so part of me thinks like in order to avoid that, they just didn't <laughs> they do just it. They just didn't do it at all. Because like nobody would be oh, like, tracks. yeah, it's, it's like as much as I can be like, yeah, I can totally see some old person doing this for nostalgic reasons and just wanting like a friend and feeling lonely or whatever but like I feel like a lot of people would just be like because the day and age we're in they're just like I don't buy it right. he's got a hidden agenda <laughs> so I don't know that's the, only, that's, that's the best guess I have yeah. like and, and again they didn't do it in the book so I could believe that very easily as a change for the movie but it's not it's the same so but I would have liked that too it would have been interesting the other thing um, that I wish they would have gone more into is uh, in th- in the movie, like, from the get-go, he's like, I can change, like you said, I can change my hair whenever I want. That is, first of all, the, the changing the hair and the clothes thing is, like, the thing I would utilize the most because I'm always like, oh, like, I want this haircut today, but I don't want it forever, so I'm not going to get it. Uh-huh. Um, and, yeah, I would, I would just be like that. Ever since movies like Disney Channel's, like, Smart House and, like, Xenon and stuff, like, I've always been like, oh, I want that, like, outfit hair changer. Yes, or absolutely. Like, yeah. Even that machine in Casper that mm-hmm. they like put you through <laughs> that cl- like combs your hair and stuff. I'm always like all for those. But um in the movie he's he's like instantly like I can change my hair. I can look super cool. I can go on all these planets. In the book there's actually a much bigger class system. Okay. So even though the world is in like ruins in reality, that hasn't brought anybody closer together in the virtual world. It's still a huge divided, like, the rich get the better stuff. Okay. Um, because when we first start off, um, Wade's character, uh, his, his avatar, Parsifal, uh, he can't afford anything above, like, the OG avatar you get, you know, like the... Yeah. And everybody knows, like, the base character you get. So, like, he's walking around and people know he's poor because... He just he, has, like, the standard like, package. Yeah, okay. he looks like the normal, like, avatar. And so he has to work extra hard 
to start getting all of that stuff. And I, they did not talk about that really at all in the movie. And I wish that they would have done a little bit more of that because I found that really fascinating. Yeah. And also, that's a huge part of the cyberpunk thing. I think there were there were some bigger um, parts of the book that weren't as cyberpunk in the movie mm-hmm. um, as much as the aesthetics, like the, uh, the the plot points anyway. Cool. So, but yeah, it's definitely it definitely gets it in there, especially the point where um, you have. Uh, Artemis like kidnapped by the IOI mm-hmm. and like you get to see the inside of their kind of fortress company and everything that it does like that was that was definitely you know the hard hitting part later on yeah that was really cool so for Scanner Darkly I mean I keep thinking about it and one of the things that is similar as we're talking about the the um, cyberpunk nature of this, one thing that holds true between both movies is the outward appearance that someone has. Mm-hmm. And the concept from this movie, as we said, you know, he, Keanu's character is undercover and has tried to infiltrate this group of drug users to see where the supply is coming from. They're mm-hmm. trying to pin down the supply. And he, in the opening scene, is speaking at, uh, like, an Elks Lodge or an Eagle yeah. Club or something, <laughs> yeah. or, like, a law enforcement presentation. I don't exactly remember what it was, but he's in something that they call a scramble suit. Uh-huh. And that really is the most cyberpunk part of this movie, I would yeah. say, is that uh, it's it's kind of a, a suit that goes all the way from head to toe, completely covering the face, and it's constantly changing, almost like a chameleon, but constant in quadrants of what someone's face looks like, what their hair looks like, what their skin tone is, what kind of clothes they're wearing. The only thing that doesn't change is their body size. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the movie, and I'm sure that's probably part of what the animation took so long, uh, is constantly changing just the face. The just the suit. scramble yeah, suit. Yeah, that's got to that's be right. Yeah. Um, because that's like the most animated part. Because the rest of the movie was rotoscope, so it was sort of just a, an animated overlay of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the scramble suit obviously was not real, so they had to animate that part in. And it was apparently the highest grossing um, animated rotoscope film that's yeah. been made. Yeah. Awesome. Um, but it, it costs... It cost way more than it still made. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the highest, highest one of those films. And so you're still dealing with this concept of identity and going undercover as a completely different person, or in this case, and you are anonymous for being so many different people. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a really fascinating concept because the rest of the movie, there's like the scanner darkly part, really what it comes down to is surveillance. And uh, being able to understand that you're being watched and other people are watching you and seeing what it is that you're doing. Because, frankly, other than the scramble suit, there's not a lot about this movie that's super futuristic. <laughs> yeah, um, like, I mean, the, the surveillance stuff is, and, and, like, also the book was written in 77. Yeah. But, but yeah, it, it this movie feels a lot closer to home, even now, watching mm-hmm. it, like... Fifteen years from when it came out, mm-hmm. and eight years from when it was supposedly set. Right. Yeah. And two thousand thirteen. It was set in two thousand thirteen. Although when the movie starts, all it says is it's seven years from now. So if you interpret that literally, it's seven years from whenever you're watching the movie. Yeah. But there really isn't a ton that's like super super futuristic, other than uh, the the 
scramble suit and the the concept of identity mm-hmm. and and where people are living. So really, this movie takes that Avatar concept and puts it in the real world, mm-hmm. which I think is really cool. But it also made for just a really confusing plot. Yeah, where I could never quite figure out who who was being followed or, like, what it was that... Because he's undercover, but you know it's him because the way the movie's set up, you can kind of see Keanu under the suit. Mm-hmm. But his job doesn't know. But his job doesn't know that is. it's him. So yeah. when he's at home, he's investigating himself because he gets set up in an office where he's watching his own house. And his own house is the one that's bugged or surveilled and full of cameras. So... He's going back and watching footage of himself living his life. So it becomes very uh, philosophical. Uh, A lot of the movie is just reflection on how trashy and awful everything is. And, like, everyone is. And everyone is so (laughs) terrible. Much much more cynical than a Ready Player One. Absolutely. Um, Rory Cochran is in this movie. He opens up the opening scene where... Oh, that opening scene is so... It's so uncomfortable, but it's so... It's portrayed so great. So good. And I wonder... I, I don't know if I think that uh, no I don't I don't think that if it wasn't animated like it was mm-hmm. it would not have been able to portray as accurately as it did no not that I've done drugs I'm like super vanilla with drugs so I'm not like like I, oh this is exactly how it feels right like I totally I remember <laughs> when I felt bugs all over my skin yeah. so Rory Cochran is in his crummy apartment and he's just in the midst of having a total breakdown because he's full of drugs and thinks that bugs are on his skin, in his hair, on his teeth, on in his, his dog. dog. He's constantly showering. He's rubbing his skin raw. And then he calls his friend slash dealer, potentially, mm-hmm. to say, you know, please help me. I'm covered in bugs. And that happens to be Robert Downey Jr., who in his... Uh, the way that he acts in movies like this um, was very uh, flippant, let's say, yeah. and uh, nonchalant about the whole situation. It was and funny to it's me, though. really funny. It's like he's like seen this so many times. He's like, it's fine, dude. Just come over. Just come like, over. Like, We're going to chill out. We're going to go get pancakes. It'll be all good. Yeah. So from Rory Cochran's uh, perception, it really sets this tone of, I really don't know what's going to be real in this movie and, and what's, uh, what's going to be... Um, what's going to be the the paranoia and what's the drug influence part of the movie um but not not as heavy cyberpunk as i expected yeah no it was we're at the point where it hasn't surpassed like the tech and stuff that has happened to make us have it feel dated and uh-huh. so and, and with how far we are ahead of it it is so interesting but the scramble suit was one of my it was so cool like it was one of my favorite like new tech cyberpunk things um and uh like she said it keeps changing and it's not even you know like the head changes the body change you know it's it's four different faces pushed together four different like parts of a torso two different legs mm-hmm. and uh, one of the trivia facts that i saw which i don't think i could ever pick this out without you know freeze framing stuff is apparently while he's at that lodge giving that speech mm-hmm. um there's a moment where um 
he he turns into Philip K. Dick. <laughs> and I don't know if it's a moment of the entire suit becomes one person or if it's like bits of him in, in like a couple seconds. Uh-huh. Um, so eventually I will look that up, but obviously there wasn't a way for me to portray this over podcast. So <laughs> right. I was like, I'll do it later. Like, but yeah, so I, I during the scene, if you watch it, um, when he's giving the speech, you know, look it up. See, I'm sure somebody on like Reddit or online has, has pinpointed the exact seconds to look up. But just, yeah, play around with it. See if you can find when that happens. Oh, that's great. Um, I know I will. There was one scene that really disturbed me. I don't feel like this is too much of a spoiler, but because uh, Fred is his undercover name, uh, or Bob Arctor, the Keanu character, um, is watching his own house. So at times he's watching scenes that he's actually in. He's going back and watching things. Sometimes he's watching his house in real time while he's not there because he's at work. And somehow no one figures out that, you know, he's not there when he's at work and he is there when he's there. So you never know what's real, like I said. Well, there's one part, um, and maybe we just don't see this, but when he has to um, be undercover, uh, and this is not the, the, the they, they don't, his, his job doesn't know he's Bob, uh-huh. um, but they know that he is living amongst the druggy house. So they tell him, they're like, when you're doing this, go in and edit yourself out of several shots yes, but keep yourself right. in some of them because obviously if we see somebody completely gone we'll know who you are we'll know who it is so, yeah. so they like they know that Fred is either Winona Ryder or Woody Harrelson or Robert Downey Jr. you know but they don't know so they've narrowed it down but they don't know which one of the house members they just know he is one of them he's one of them and that's so close to home like like, yeah. and so, like they're they're you know they're like make sure that we don't find out that you're the one doing all of this when like in reality he's he's not he's like, not yeah they're, they're <laughs> like they're on a lead that doesn't exist really but, um, but there's this scene where he is watching his house in real time. Obviously, he's not there. And Woody Harrelson and Robert Downey Jr. are there. And Woody Harrelson is heating up leftovers mm-hmm. and sits down to eat and starts choking. Oh, yeah. And it was so horrifying to watch where, you know, Keanu was really sweating how to solve this situation where essentially he's watching his friend die in real time because... Robert Downey will not call the ambulance or offer any help because they're living in a house that is full of drugs. And just that that tension and that that um, feeling of dread while you're watching this happen in real time, that one was really disturbing. And that's something that's gonna stick with me for a while. Yeah. And I wanna go I wanna go back to that. Yeah. But, um, the other really disturbing scene for me was when um, the the soup the bug guy. Rory Cochran. What's his His name, name is Freck. Freck, yes. Yeah, Freck. Freckles. Um, <laughs> and so Freck tries to kill himself at one point in the movie, and he tries to basically just, like, down a bunch of pills. Uh-huh. And uh, it, like, just doesn't work. He just, like, doesn't go through with it. And then this is probably the weirdest hallucination he has, is he hallucinates uh, this, like... Like, it almost looks like a door-to-door salesman alien. He's got, like, a bazillion eyes and is green... And is like reading him his rights, um, and he kind of comes off like he's supposed to be almost like an angel at the gate or something. Uh-huh. And it, it was it was interesting for me that portrayal because uh, I I would think it was just completely out there hallucinations. But I thought like I wonder if any part of this was trying to 
weirdly portray like some of the uh, more accurate descriptions of angels the ones that say they're like orbs with a million eyes mm-hmm. and like actually look like look terrifying they don't look like cherubs and like like romance novel people you know with wings yeah so but yeah that part was like the trippiest and um when he shows up with like whew. a stack of pages of pages where he reads him all of his discretion yes and there's so <laughs> like, many when you were in it's like the scene in uh in Goonies where <laughs> Chunk just starts to confessing every single thing he's ever done. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like that in reverse where someone's reading you every bad thing you've ever done. Because I think it was even like you pushed your sister down the stairs when you were nine and you did this on Thursday. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> they really go in deep on yes. stuff that he's done. Yes, they yeah. Do. Um, but yeah, going back to the the part where Woody Harrelson's, Harrelson's character is joking, mm-hmm. that was the creepiest Robert Downey Jr. part to oh. me. Yeah. And I still don't fully know who I think he is. Like, because mm-hmm. they show uh, a scene earlier where he's in the office that um, Fred Keanu Reeves works in. And he's saying he's got, like, insider information. But it kind of just seems like he's, like, blowing smoke. Yeah. You know, he just, like, wants to be part of it. Uh-huh. But then you get to that moment and you're kind of like, oh, like, is 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 there more to it than I don't want to call because of drugs and like he yeah he he gets a very like evil side to him Mm -hmm. that that seems more of it and I still don't really know you know whether I didn't pay it close enough attention or just haven't figured it out yet I, I don't really know who he actually is yeah I don't know what part he plays if he's just also on a different level of drugs so he like thinks he's smarter than everybody because you know all of the characters in the house portray a very stereotypical druggy person you yeah. know there's like the super paranoid one which is freck mm-hmm. there's you know woody harrelson is like the kind of typical like chilled out kind of stoner dude uh-huh. robert Downey jr is like the pretentious jerk you know that uh thinks he knows everything and has been like enlightened by all the drugs uh-huh. well, i know a writer is kind of just like the kind of another like chill person although but... well you'd think that until he goes back to her house and she's like don't touch me i do a lot of coke right <laughs> and then you see she's a little more messed up uh-huh. than she seems yeah but then but that... you get to the ending uh-huh. and she's definitely not what she seems let's just leave not. it at that yes she is not what she seems and and it is I did not see it coming no. she, she played her role very convincingly so the way that the movie ends which I'm still a little confused by is that uh, Keanu does end up in the new path yeah. facility where he's being uh, rehabilitated supposedly but I'm going to read this sentence from the Wikipedia page because it's a nice little tie-in to uh, Cyber Monday and every other little thing we have going on this week. It says, the book ends with Bruce, who is the character's name that Keanu takes on in the uh, rehab center. It says, although considered by his handlers to be nothing more than a walking shell of a man, quote, Bruce manages to spot rows of blue flowers hidden growing among rows of corn and realizes the blue flowers are Mors Ontologica, sorry for that pronunciation, which is the source of substance D. The book ends with Bruce hiding a flower in his shoe to give to his friends, undercover police agents posing as recovering addicts at the Los Angeles New Path facility on Thanksgiving. 
Yeah, that's the ending was the most impactful part of the movie uh-huh. to me. It was the, the that very last part, and then the quote that um, from Philip K. Dick that they include uh, right before the credits. Yeah, Oof, um, that got me. Yeah, that made me very. I was like, it, it, it gave me the message that the movie was trying to send. Yeah, that, the the movie ends once the the final scene is over. There is a credit scene where the names of what I'm assuming are people who have either died from overdose or, uh, you know, did were not able to make any kind of recovery from addiction are all, and the, the author lists all of those people, and, and that movie is dedicated to them. He says that, that um, though these people are like druggies, they didn't deserve the punishment, basically, they got, they just needed help, and... That they were all his friends, and this this movie was actually based I saw on um, his own personal experience doing mm-hmm. drugs. So yeah, like yeah. this is like something that we still talk about today. We're talking about how you know people that are doing drugs, like should we just be throwing them in jail or should we be trying to get them help? Of course, because it's something completely different. And mm-hmm. um, so yeah, like this definitely definitely hit home and still felt extremely relevant. And that part did did hit me a lot too. Yeah, one of the other things that lead up to him, the catalyst of him being taken in and sent to the recovery places, it, it seems very much like an inkblot test, and it's where, you know, uh, you're given a bunch of, like, lines, like this kind of puzzle card, and then you're supposed to see a very distinct picture in the middle, and if you're, like, sane of mind and not on drugs, you can see it easily. Mm-hmm. He starts to less and less, like, be able to make out what it is, and so finally he gets to the point, um, and first of all, this is... Um, it reminded me a lot of the test from Blade Runner, the, like the vibe of it, yes. even though it was nothing like it. Uh-huh. And then I, when I was looking stuff up about it, that was apparently intentional because oh. he also wrote "Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep?" Yep. Um, and so I was like, "Oh, look at that! Like that's a that's an interesting nod." Um, so that was really fun. I liked those scenes a lot too uh, because they're really tense. But uh, once he got far enough, and they told him like, "We have to, you know, commit you to New Path's actual recovery thing. You don't work here anymore. You're fired." Uh huh. Um, he was like, "You know, but you guys, like, I, I had to do it. I had to take the drug too. Like, it's not my fault that I got overdosed." And he's like, "So then they they lay it on him. They're like, oh no no no, you didn't have to take the drug. Like, plenty of people have done this, and they've just pretended.'" And I almost felt like he was set up. He got duped. Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like he. He seemed very sure and like they were all like they knew he'd been taking the drug mm-hmm. so why now be like you know oh well you shouldn't have done it you know well, yeah um, they knew he was taking it and they're like well we have to test you yeah that's to why see how far it. gone you're you are and then so they know he's taking it yeah that's not fair yeah and i won't reveal the other kind of big twist but there's there's a reason they're duping him, is what yeah. I will say. Yes, yes. And, uh, yeah, one of the parts where he finds the, the flower, he is super out of it. And uh, he asks, you know, when he'll be able to see his friends again. And the the guy that, he, he goes from, like, being inside the facility to working out in these fields, mm-hmm. um, which he's, you know, harvesting things. And he finds the blue flowers in the field. And um, so the guy tells him, um, I think it's, it's you'll see them at Thanksgiving, like, three months from now. Yeah. So, yeah, he's going to be, you know, he and, and just like in, in the book, he puts the flower in his shoe. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you know, thinking, okay, and, like, he's going to wait three months pretending that he's brain dead a shell or, of a man or, or maybe he's still maybe he's a little bit but like he's starting to come out of it and be more clear like it's wearing off but uh-huh. um and so in three months time like the cover's gonna get blown off of this yeah this conspiracy with this drug and and who's passing it out and yeah it's like that's the moment when you're kind of like okay so 
did he ever really get too hooked on the drug? Like, has this whole thing been like an undercover mission for an undercover job? Like, a, there's just so many layers that, like, I I, I feel like you're like this. This is one of the movies that is dense, and you're probably gonna need to watch it a couple times to fully understand yeah. where everybody stands and and what level the conspiracy is at. But it makes you, the movie very well gets under your skin, makes you feel like there are bugs on you, <laughs> yes. makes you feel like you've done drugs, and makes you just like, you know, it makes you feel very like conspiratory and, and very just like, yeah, yeah. It, it does a very good job at the whole psychological end. So I, I did really enjoy A Scanner Darkly. Uh, it was, I liked it. I don't think I would watch it again, to be honest. Like, that mm. feeling of the paranoia and confusion, I didn't like that feeling. Um, I love that feeling. That's my day-to-day <laughs> feeling. That's, it was no decision. But But I, I like what it was trying to do with the style it was created. I, you know, that scramble suit, I don't know how that would have worked unanimated it would not right. have the, we, the technology does not it probably would have really crappy it would have been pretty bad so I <laughs> like the way that it was handled think, exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah but I I think that it was you know I'm glad I watched it it was an interesting concept um, but yeah those are our or you picks. might go crazy you might go crazy you might have bugs on you <laughs> you never know you might be looking for hidden cameras all over your house like we're not already doing exactly that. <laughs> uh, but yeah so I guess like we, I feel like we have different, differing opinions on mm-hmm. these this time. So I guess if you want my review, I say A Scanner Darkly uh, I liked better than Ready Player One. Um, I, I do think it's a, a a dense watch, though. I yeah. don't think it's an easy watch, just mm-hmm. like I'm sure the book is not an easy read, and I'm probably never going to attempt to read it. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm just going to be honest. like because it, So yeah, so I, I, I give that one a definite recommendation. Um, I didn't like Ready Player One the book. I didn't really care about the movie. It's not the most terrible thing ever. You know, it's an enjoyable romp. It's actiony. It's lighthearted. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so if it sounds, um, at least for me, all of my friends told me I would love it. That it was for me, yeah. which I understand why, because it has two of some of my favorite things. It has '80s stuff, which I'm like a huge nostalgic fan of, and it has video games. The only thing it doesn't have is horror. It's not a horror right? movie, you know what I mean? And so I was all there is a Chucky in it though. There, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I guess there, there are horror game characters uh-huh. in it, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I guess like I I went into it really wanting to love it and was hugely disappointed yeah um and so it had a high bar for you it had a high bar Uh you know the content that the book is about is super awesome i just think that like as uh, book wise i think that the writing wasn't great Mm -hmm. um it wasn't executed great and so of course you know if that's the case the movie can't movies don't normally expand hugely beyond that for me so you know it is fun it's not something you have to think super hard about so if you think that it looks fun and good watch it because yeah there are redeeming parts of the movie absolutely the cgi and oasis world looks super freaking cool it's cool like they did an amazing job and like i said i think the like the characters are a little more likable in the movie than the book so (laughs) and i would say that i would i'm disappointed that i wasn't able to i i would have rather seen this in on a big screen with some popcorn and some candy, it would have been a fun, uh, you know, Saturday matinee mm-hmm. uh, in the middle of the summer when I didn't have anything else going on. Watching it at home, uh, it had some things that were missing for me, and I w- will go back and read the book for sure. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, they were fine. They were both fine movies, just not uh, anything I would I would seek out to watch again. I'm not going to visit either of these a second time. Uh, Ready Player One is available on DVD or Blu-ray through the library, and you can stream A Scanner Darkly on Canopy, available for free with your library card. Uh, the books of each of those are also available if you'd rather read than watch. Beyond that, we hope you all have an excellent Thanksgiving and Cyber Monday. Check out those sales, whatever it is you're going to spend your money on. Thanks for tuning in, and we are Library Gals. Go to the movies. And next time we'll be coming at you with some holiday cheer. Oh, we're going to keep the so, Keanu vibe alive, yes, and we'll we leave it at that. We'll leave it at that, <laughs> and we will just let you, yeah, just, just get ready to ride the Keanu wave. I love it. <laughs> Join us next time for Library Guys Go to the Movies. For more information on any of the films or digital services we've discussed, please visit DelawareLibrary.org.